0: Good morning and welcome to Aerosmith Baptist Church online today. Uh, We're going to look at one of the most life-altering pieces of Scripture today. It has changed the story of literally millions of God's people through the last 2,000 years. In terms of of history for just the last few years, uh, Tanya and I and the girls have been discussing how 2020 was going to be a huge year for us. The reasons why for us personally include in order uh, me turning 50 recently, uh, Sarah graduating from high school, um, our 20th anniversary, which is later this year in November, and Sarah turning 18 in the following month. Uh, We are looking forward to all of these things, which on their own are major milestones as we've all seen recently, God and his sovereignty and even mystery threw us and the world a huge curveball with COVID-19. Uh, Ephesians 2, in some ways, is a curveball for those who hear God's call and step up to the plate. Please join me in prayer before we get into the text. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to present of your word today and to share it with people i pray lord that it will be your words that people hear and not me and i pray god that um, it will go out and be used to glorify you and to further your kingdom here in our church community and beyond in jesus name amen so in order to proceed through our text uh, we need to recap some of the, of the key things that were said regarding Ephesians 1, since that was over a month ago now, and a lot has happened since then. Uh, when Paul wrote this book, he was writing to the people of Ephesus, which was a city of about a quarter of a million in the ancient world. It was a major trade city and was sort of a cultural melting pot, uh, meaning that it had all kinds of ideas and all kinds of people. There would have been Jews and Gentiles and, and lots of other people also, and it would have been like many of our cities today, in which, including a mixture of religious and non-religious of all kinds. So in many ways, our context today is similar. As Matt stated back in February, the big idea of Ephesians is that everything is to the praise of his glory. This means also that Christ has reconciled all of creation to himself and that he has united the church in himself. Uh, The Apostle Paul asserted that Christians should lead lives that are a fitting tribute of gratitude to their Lord. Today, this means simply that no matter what is happening, we should be focused on him and give him praise and glory in the good and the bad which is not always easy, I know. Uh, Many of you know that I'm an English teacher, and as a result, I'm always thinking about words. So to start, I simply want to draw our attention to some of the amazing key words in the first part of chapter 1. Blessed, heavenly, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, predestined us for adoption, purpose of his will, glorious grace, redemption, forgiveness, riches of his grace, wisdom and insight, plan for the fullness of time, unite in him, inheritance, works all things according to the counsel of his will, heard the word of truth, sealed with the promise, guarantee of inheritance, and praise of his glory. We could spend hours and hours on each of these words and phrases in themselves. We should let them soak into us, and we should abide in them, as Jesus told us to do. Sometimes just one word or phrase can get us through a tough time. I recall waking in in the night and just just thinking of one word even to get through thoughts and ideas in the middle of the night. In the next part of chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, we heard from Pastor Leland about faith in Jesus, unceasing thanks for the saints, prayers, the Father of glory, the Spirit of wisdom, Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, glorious inheritance, working of his great might, raised him from the dead, above every name, for all ages of time, gave him as head over all things. In chapter 1, we also saw that we're spiritually blind to the resurrection power of Jesus, and that we need to have our hearts opened up and illuminated. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of him to show us the immeasurable greatness of his power. These are enormous concepts that require time to process and then incorporate into our lives. My prayer for you and me and all of us is that we would never stop abiding in his words or word. Again, one each day is often all it takes. The first chapter of Ephesians is so incredibly deep and rich with ideas about God that it's very difficult to bring down to our level of understanding. In chapter 2, though, Paul begins to write about things that are perhaps more relatable to a degree. So, obviously, we're going to be in in chapter 2 of Ephesians, so if you haven't already done so, I'd encourage you to, to turn there. And Ephesians contains three main segments which focus on some of the characteristics of God that I think all people can relate to. And they've been read already, obviously, but I'm going to sort of break them down into the sections and then talk about them individually after that. So verses 1 to 3 say, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. These focus on fallen man and his hopeless condition of being dead, as a result of his sin. Every person knows that they have regrets and flaws or shortcomings, even if they don't like to admit them to themselves or to others or to God. And knowing that we're broken is the beginning of submission to him. In verses 4 to 6, we saw, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. These three focus on God and his mercy and grace in making provision for man's salvation in Christ. I think every person wants to be shown mercy, And in fact, we often seem to demand mercy for ourselves or themselves more than we like to extend it to others. Uh, People also seem to want to be saved from this life and this world, even if that is not how they necessarily articulate that concept. Uh, For example, even the ardent atheist is hoping that there's nothing after this life which is in itself a kind of escape or salvation from this life. The last part of our text, verses 7 to 10, state, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These last verses focus on the purpose of salvation, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Altogether, they spell out the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, every person, whether they really know it or not, or can say it or not, wants to be saved from this world. These verses are overwhelmingly large in many ways, despite their relatability, as they they strip away our choices and our truths, which is a very common concept for people today. Accepting that God is sovereign over the earth is every single human being's primary issue as we saw in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heaven, the heavens and the earth. Unless we start with God, nothing else makes sense. Everything else in Ephesians is also an example of sola, I want to say gratia, and I also saw it pronounced as gratia. Sorry, my Latin is not what it used to be meaning through grace alone, which makes this different than any other religious worldview, since it's all about God's doing, not ours. Now I'm going to start to walk us through the verses in pieces and discuss some of the key parts and how they stand out individually. So in verse 1 and 2 we saw, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, you, in which you once walked. Paul's and there connects back to the previous chapter and shows us the past tense of how we were dead, which implies some other time than right now or before we even became aware of God's presence in our life. We're dead in every way that's, that's not only physical death. Uh, we walked in trespasses. Uh, reminds me of the Lord's Prayer that so many people know. Also, in those verses we see that our life, along with Jesus' life, is a, is a moving journey. Um, we're always going somewhere. And before God entered our lives, we were dead. In verse 2, we see following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We are often tempted to chart our own course, even though in the book of Matthew Jesus said to follow him. Also, in this world, we often do not feel, quote, at home, but rather feel like aliens. And if you're like me, oftentimes as you go through life, you just get the sense that just things just aren't the way they're meant to be or they just don't feel right. You feel like an outsider. And that's because this world is not meant for us. We are aliens here. The prince of this world, our enemy, however, is not the king of kings, thankfully. We do have our own work to do to overcome ourselves in a way. And at the same time, the enemy is all around trying his best to derail and and destroy us. In verse 3, we see we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Uh, We hear so often today that we should, quote, follow our heart and think for ourselves. And uh, if you think about that, that's actually really bad advice. The heart is fickle. And many people today live in kind of an overly emotional state. Um, the Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year in 2016 was the word post-truth. And post meaning after. And that word came about to signify this time where our, our feelings and how we experience things are more important than the truth of things. And that's a good kind of description of living in our flesh. Uh, We need to rise rise above our own instincts and emotions and follow the one that has overcome the world. Even today, we may not feel like washing our hands for 20 seconds, but that's what we're supposed to do. In verse 3, we see that we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, if you've ever babysat a child... Uh, you know that we don't need to be taught to disobey it just happens just in us also the wrath here is god's eternal wrath unleashed in the garden after adam's sin and all of mankind is destined to experience god's wrath Uh, but those of us uh, in christ are set apart which is amazing Now, as we move on, we get into the most incredible and eternity-altering but in the world. And that's the grammatical kind, of course. It says in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy. Now, grammatically, but signals a change in direction. It was raining, but then it stopped. I had some money, but then I had kids. The world was moving along, but then we had COVID-19. It's different than and this word. And like many of you, I also experienced this type of but God intervention almost exactly 20 years ago now for me, when God saved me. I had I'd spent some time in the church kind of off and on when I was young till about age 13 or so, and went away from that for a variety of reasons, and then on into my late teens and early 20s, some pretty self-destructive kind of habits, uh, which led to some depression issues and stuff like that. Nothing terribly unusual, really, I suppose. Um, Tanya and I met some folks that were Christians, and they were intriguing to us, and so we started hanging around with them. and all of a sudden there was just this, well, it was like a, a boom or a change in direction or but God. And I began to think, well, what if I'm wrong about all of this stuff that I'd previously thought about before? And then those people that we'd met, they they invited us for spaghetti dinner at their church. And so we went there and the food was good and there was lots of it. and. I began to think, well, these people that they, on the one hand, they have these intellectual truths and spiritual truths that I'd fought against, but they're also kind and welcoming and and encouraging. And so in the midst of all of that, for my but God moment, I just want to encourage you to don't underestimate how you share him with people or how you tell people about him. We need to be strong and true but throwing some spaghetti in can also be helpful so in verse 4 we see because of his great love with which he loved us this because is also a huge statement since it reveals some of god's motivation it's because of his great love how many people would want to know that god loved them enough to save them all of them forever everywhere Uh, This brings to mind famous passages of comfort that even non-believers know. Like Psalm 23, the the peaceful scene of being comforted as you go through the valley or you lie down in the green pasture. Or John 3.16 that we see everywhere at sporting events and all over the place. People quote it all the time about God giving up his son for us. Everyone wants to know that God loves them. You might not know how to say it, but perhaps now, during this pandemic, more than ever, uh, the time is ripe to share God's love with people. There are so many people having so many questions, and Jesus is the answer. Even when we are dead in our trespasses, verse 5 says, he made us alive together with Christ. Again, there's the past tense of our position of being dead before, and now that God makes us alive. And this is forever life. And it's God's doing. I think this passage is infuriating for many people to hear that they can't do it for themselves. Because again, that's not what we're taught. We're just taught to you know, do it our way, do, do things ourselves. But for lots of other people, like me and hopefully you, it's also very liberating and encouraging and reassuring to know that God did it for me because I proved that I either wouldn't do it or would mess it up. So The fact that God did it is amazing. Verse 5 says, by grace you've been saved. We all, we all probably know that grace is getting what you don't deserve. And we all want to be saved from all kinds of things. Uh, Just start with any and all of the issues related to COVID-19 in the last couple of months, and then proceed to the rest of life. Everybody wants to be saved from this world and the troubles in it, even if temporarily at times. Verse 6 continues with, We've been raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus was raised up on the cross so that we can join him at God's throne. Wow. I was thinking, what is God's throne like? We don't really know, of course, but I bet it's a lot nicer than what you're sitting on right now, for sure. Verse 7 continues by saying, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So here we have to kind of think about God's time. And obviously God's sense of time is way beyond anything we can imagine. I mean, he was there before time began. He's eternal. So we can't really understand that part. But it does say imagine be, or sorry, just imagine being in his riches and kindness for all of eternity. I mean, however long it is eternity is, which we can't really grasp, just think about being there in God's kindness for that whole time. Uh, surely that's more incredible than anything we can think of. Verse eight says, "For grace you've been saved. It's all His doing. Uh, we uh, simply respond to his work. Again, just incredible, astounding. Um, Like you, I've been kind of housebound recently, so I've been reading lots of stuff. And I recently read the book Robinson Crusoe in full for the first time. I'd heard the story but never really read the book. And in the book, after Crusoe was shipwrecked uh, but somehow made it to shore, He said, and I quote, I was now landed and safe on shore and began to look up and thank God that my life was saved when some minutes before there had been scarcely any room to hope. I believe it is impossible to express in full what the ecstasies and transports of the soul are when it is so saved, as I may say, out of the very grave end quote. And so we have a picture there of Crusoe, you know, almost drowning in the ocean after his shipwreck, and he gets to the shore, and he's just overcome with gratitude, and he's amazed that he was brought out of what he felt was a sure death in the ocean. And that's us too. Before God entered our lives and saved us, we're dead. Verse 8, and this is not your doing, it is the gift of God. Again, we see here that God strips away our our own towers of Babel and any idols that we might have, and we all have them. So often we want to credit ourselves for so many things. It is a gift from the one that created the universe. Who wouldn't want that? And it's not our choice. He did it. Verse 9 verifies that. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Every other belief system is about works and doing things. This, again, leads back to ourselves. God, however, takes that away since he knew that our greatest undoing is our pride and boasting about doing it my way. Sorry, Frank. We would surely boast about saving ourselves if we could. Verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. Jesus himself did all of the work. We are made and designed in the image of God. We're not an accident. In this time of chaos and uncertainty, people want to know that their lives have purpose and meaning. And in the last couple months, there's been a huge amount of self-reflection and people trying to figure out what this is all about. I mean, what better meaning is there than knowing that you're made by God himself. Verse 10 says that we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. If we're in him, abiding in him and following him and living out his word, then we should feel compelled and driven to do good things in his name so that others would see him in us. And there are just so many opportunities for this today and tomorrow and the next day and these were prepared by God beforehand this means before time began which again we can't really grasp what that means but we do know that God knew that that we and you would be right here right now at home watching church on your device or whatever he knew that That can be taken many other different ways, but he wants us to hear from him and be used by him right now, whatever that might look like in your life for his glory. As we get near the end, we see that we should walk with him. In verse 1, we saw that we walked in sin and trespass. Now God calls us again to walk with him freed from the eternal burden of sin, as we've been freed by his gift of grace. Sorry, as we've been freed by his gift of grace. I thought it was interesting that Jesus walked everywhere in his life. That means he's also with us everywhere as we go in everything we do. Even if we're not necessarily walking, he's with us. It's just a great picture of what our lives look like day to day that no matter what we do, where we go, he's there accompanying us, just like he did with his initial followers. So to bring things to an end, there's an English evangelist and writer named Leonard Ravenhill. He said, there are only two kinds of people in the world, only two kinds, not rich or poor, not black or white, I'll interject my own emphasis here. Not Canadian or American. Not hockey fans or football fans. Not those who put pineapple on pizza and those who don't. Now Back to his words. There's those that are dead in sin and those that are dead to sin. Furthermore, Abraham Kuyper said something similar. There are two kinds of beauty. There is a beauty which God gives at birth and which withers as a flower. And there is a beauty which God grants when by his grace we are born again. That kind of beauty never vanishes, but blooms eternally. And that's my my prayer for you and for me and for us, that we would grasp these words from Paul in Ephesians, and, and grab on to that eternal blossoming of our life in Jesus. Let's pray. I thank you, God, for this time. I thank you, God, for your word, which is so precious and timeless and eternal, and speaks to the very core of, of who we are as your children and your created beings in this world. I pray, God, that each one of us would continue to abide in your word and to cherish it and to hang on to it and to make it our guiding force through our lives. That that would be you and only you. So I thank you, God, again for this technology that we're able to get together now. And I thank you, God, for this time. And I pray, Lord, that It will be used to glorify your kingdom here in Port Alberni and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.